Irish society has long been shaped by systems of land ownership. Land was the main source of wealth in the country prior to the famine and continued to be so after it ended. The land was largely rented by Protestant landlords to Catholic tenants. Their holdings were often very small and it wasn't unusual for the tenant farmers to have only two or three acres of land. One in four Irish tenants had farms that were only 1.5 to 2 hectares in size. This group and their families made up most of the population. By some measurements, over one half of the nation were subsistence farmers. Any chance event could ruin a tenant farmer and his family, reducing them to penury and starvation. Another issue in Ireland was that often when a tenant died, they divided their lands among all their children. This was an age-old Gaelic tradition. However, this practice of subdivision meant that, over time, the holdings of the Irish cottiers was reduced in size each generation. There was not enough for them to produce anything other than potatoes. This meant they could not produce food for the market and their farms were used simply to provide for their own food for the year, if they were lucky. Such was the hunger for land that more and more marginal land came into use such as in hilly and upland areas. Before the famine, an official British government report indicated that poverty was endemic, that some one-third of all Irish farmers could not support their families after paying their rent. Most of the poor lived in one- or two-roomed cabins. Despite this and other reports, nothing was done to change the situation, and the Irish poor continued to live in the shadow of famine and in wretched poverty. There was a large labouring class, which was often landless, and would often wander the country looking for work, especially at harvest time. Many would migrate to England and Scotland during harvest time, and here they would earn wages. Those wages often helped them and their families to avoid starvation during the winter. They made up to one quarter of the population. Many labourers often relied on what they could grow in a small garden or acre of land to survive during the periods when they were not working. They would work on the landlord's own land and other farms to pay the rent. Many Irish peasants lived in a form of feudal dependency on landlords and largely lived in a barter economy. Any cash money they earned would usually be given to their landlords to pay their rents. They would swap their surplus of potatoes if they had any to purchase necessities, items such as utensils in the local markets. Many Irish families were self-sufficient and women and men often made everything that they needed. The main fuel of the Irish was peat, which was dug from many of the bogs across the island. There was also a very large class of desperately poor people who wandered the country begging. The towns and the cities were large and growing, but by and large Ireland was an agrarian society. Ireland was not industrialising like England and Scotland, and indeed prior to the famine, and this meant that the surplus population in the countryside could move to the towns and cities for work. Poverty was not confined to rural Ireland. In urban centres there was widespread poverty, even by the standards of the time. And in Dublin and elsewhere, this poverty was deemed to be greater than in Indian cities. There were many successful merchants and agents for landlords who composed the middle class, but this class was relatively small. Most people lived on the verge of disaster. This led to a great deal of agrarian unrest and there were many secret societies in the country, such as the Ribbon Men, who violently attacked the landlords and their agents. Murder, intimidation and arson were very common in rural Ireland as secret societies sought better terms for the poor tenants. 
Ireland was a very violent society, you've heard me say this many times. And many in the British government believed that the island was on the verge of outright rebellion in the years prior to the famine. It is that violence that accompanied all things land-related that forms the backdrop to this month's Tipperary's hidden history. The first half of the 19th century saw few agricultural seasons that did not experience an agrarian disturbance of some kind. In January 1848, Pat Gleeson appeared before the magistrates of the Nina Petty Sessions. Gleeson was described as, and I quote, well-looking and rather respectably clad, with his head bound up in a red handkerchief, unquote. Pat Gleeson took a case against Malachy, Cornelius and Hugh Maloney, as well as John Hickey, for assault. Gleeson testified that on the night of the 11th of December, the previous month, he was travelling to Limerick with his brother, who was about to make an onward voyage to America. The Gleeson brothers were part of a party of around 20 people, including their sister, all present apparently to accompany one of the brothers to begin his emigration journey. Somewhere near Kilpartine, the group encountered Malachy Maloney, Michael Maloney, Cornelius Maloney and John Hickey. Two of the Maloney brothers were carrying guns and so 10 or 15 of the Gleeson party absconded from the scene toward the nearest river. Shouts of murder rang out through the dark night. Pat Gleeson claimed that, without any provocation, Malachy Maloney caught his blunderbuss by the barrel and struck him on the head, fracturing his skull. Gleeson staggered, but did not hit the ground. Cornelius Maloney also struck him on the head with the same weapon. The older brother, Michael, shouted, but he did not physically do anything. John Hickey from Yahal, who was also present, and he hit the victim with some sort of implement. Gleeson could not tell what sort of weapon Hickey used because his eyes were now full of blood from the original blows. In court, Gleeson pointed out that his wounds were suffered on his temple and the crown of his head. He claimed that his attackers were all the worse for alcohol. Under cross-examination, Pat Gleeson confirmed that his landlord was Councillor O'Dwyer. He had been renting seven acres from O'Dwyer at Kilpartine, but was evicted by the sheriff three weeks before the incident. He revealed that Malachy Maloney was O'Dwyer's caretaker. He was put in charge of the land after Gleeson's eviction. Gleeson had now relocated to Lahorna, some eight miles away from the former holding. While he was back to the land to take back some sheaves, which he claimed were his own property, he swore he did not attempt to work the land after his eviction. The defence tried to claim that Gleeson and his party were on the land and therefore trespassing when the attack took place. This would have justified the attack. Gleeson rejected this, claiming that they were on the road when the attack happened. Constable O'Hara, who had been dealing with the case, testified that Gleeson came to him that night and his story tallied with everything he had just testified. He also revealed that the Maloney's held the incorrect license for their blunderbuss. He described the Maloney family as being impudent to him. And one thing you didn't do in 19th century Ireland was be impudent to a police constable. At one point during the proceeding, Malachy Maloney shouted up from the audience in the court that he, and I quote, told the constable that Gleeson caught me by the breast and chuckled me, unquote. I have to admit I'm not sure what he means by he chuckled me. We'll have to leave that to our imaginations. Constable O'Hara outrightly denied that this was ever mentioned to him. The magistrates of the petty sessions were generally very content that the case against the Maloney's and Hickey's was proven. It appears they were swayed by the evidence of Constable O'Hara. 
Even though this was an armed attack, where one of the victims suffered a fractured skull, Malachi Maloney and John Hickey were fined a pound or a month's imprisonment. A prosecution lawyer pointed out to the defendants, and I quote, You may well praise the clemency of the British law for that sentence. If you were sent to the Assizes, you would certainly be transported. Unquote. As the defendants left the court, they were stopped by Constable O'Hara, who realised that they'd not paid their fine. A prosecutor admonished him. What are you doing, O'Hara? You seem overzealous in this case. You shall wait for orders. And so, as if to add insult to injury, the magistrates on the bench had a further hushed tones discussion and reduced the fine to ten shillings each and gave the convicted men a week to pay. The shortage of land coupled with a high demand was a dominant theme of life in Irish society after 1800. Land was essential for survival, particularly the type of land on which you could grow potatoes. This goes some way to explaining why so many families who were lucky enough to hold some land did everything they had to do to hold on to their holding. The swift growth of the population from the closing decades of the 18th century gave rise to what was known as a land hunger. As we know only too well, the ultimate owners of that land were aware of their advantageous position and they never hesitated to exploit that strength. The result was that a whole network of middlemen emerged between the landlords and those who ultimately worked the land. You had agents, you had bailiffs, you had caretakers, you name it. Essentially, that's where the Maloney brothers and John Hickey enter today's story. They perfectly fit the role of those middlemen. And those so-called middlemen were not always wealthy themselves. Sometimes they took over the lease on a piece of land for a low rent, only to rent it out at a much higher figure to the poorer farmers or families. Sometimes they were just ordinary farm labourers themselves who were in the pay of a local landlord having connived their way into his favour and were, as a result, happy to do his so-called dirty work. It was worth their while economically to turn on their own class in this way. What's important to remember here is that while today's story of how the Maloney brothers and Hickey attacked Pat Gleeson is of obvious local interest to us all, in the context of 19th century Ireland, it is unremarkable, nothing special. Incidents like this one were ten a penny. The history of every agricultural region across the island of Ireland during the 1800s is infused with tales of complex agri-commercial relationships, scheming and manoeuvrings that somehow ended in violence, or, as often as not, in court. At the heart of it all was layer upon layer of exploitation, the landowning class held all the aces. They held the balance of power and used others to assist in the persecution, exploitation and impoverishment of those at the bottom rung of the ladder, the poorest of the farming classes. So whatever happened to Pat Gleeson and his attempts to maintain a small holding at Kilpartine? Did he resolve his differences with his attackers? Did he come to terms with his landlord? The reality is, as in thousands of cases across the country, the drama probably continued for all parties. The truth, however, remains part of Tipperary's hidden history. <laughs> <laughs>